Looking for a job isn't easy. It used to be that you could apply at a big name tech company and build a great career for yourself. But times have changed. Many of these companies have gone full woke. And if you aren't the right gender, ethnicity, you don't use pronouns, or if you're not an activist for the preferred cause, then good luck. Why would you risk your career on that? At Red Balloon, we're connecting good employees with top quality companies that value you for your skills and your work ethic, not your social activism score. Employers who post jobs on Red Balloon are focused on creating an enjoyable and productive work culture, free from divisive woke mandates. So if you want to find a serious career path without the nonsense, come to Red Balloon and post your resume today. Because you shouldn't have to choose between your job and your values. That's redballoon.work, where you can find your future. Gabe. Good evening, y'all. Gabe. Yes, sir. You know, before we start the show, yep. Pastor Toby usually is praying. Uh-huh. Were you typing while he was praying? <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Cross Politics on the Fight Laugh Feast Network. Pastor Toby, Chuck Knox, I'm the water boy. Were you typing while the man was praying to uh, Jesus? I mean, I was, I was typing out another prayer to God. <laughs> Are you lying right now? <laughs> I, I look over and the man is over here typing with his eyes closed. <laughs> wait, wait, why are you looking over though? Because I was wondering. Why, wait, 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 whoa! You know what? I, I was nothing wrong with what I was doing. I was just, I'm always keeping my eyes up, you know, looking to see everything. Somebody could have came in here. I was make sure we were safe. It was a security my, guard. That's right. Security yeah. guard. And I look over and see Gabe. I'm like, are you serious right now? Uh -oh. I'm sorry, Gabe. I didn't mean email. to bust you up. Yeah, if right. you're a fan right. of Cross Politic or the Fight Laugh Feast Network, then surely you know we have a merch store. Right, Rowdy yes. Christian Merch is your one-stop shop for everything cross-politic merchandise. We've got t-shirts, hoodies, hats, but we've also got specialty items like backpacks, mugs, coffee, even AirPod cases if you're into that sort of thing. Visit Rowdy Christian Merch at RowdyChristian.com and buy that next gift or a little something for yourself. Again, that's RowdyChristian.com. And Rowdy Christian is going to be at the Ark Encounter, so stop by the booth and grab yourself uh, a hoodie. Um and um, also, I've got, I've got, I've got two other things. Okay. Real quick, go ahead. Finish, uh, finish sorry, typing, Gabe. Sorry, you can, you can write a few more emails, Gabe, while, while you're waiting <laughs> for us to get your show. Now, do you love Jesus? Yes. Good coffee. Yes. Great beer. Ooh. And even better fellowship, and want to worship Him well in covenant renewal worship, I'm singing in. psalms and hymns. Is that yes. you? You're yes, right? I'm you're, in. Okay, I'm in. If so, Christ Church South Denver. Oh. Oh. Is a CREC church. Um, led by Pastor Craig Thigh might be the place for you. Christ Ooh. Church meets weekly on Sundays at 10 a.m. at Table Public House. This is in South Denver, T Table Public House. They're a small, vibrant community committed to bringing all of Christ to all of life to all of Denver. Check them mm. out at Christ Kirk Denver. Christ Kirk Denver. Oh, Christ South, Kirk. South Denver. Dot church. Did you know they have dot, dot church? They got dot yeah. church now. Christ Kirk wow. Denver dot church or email them at info at Christ Kirk Denver. Dot church. I like, I like using dot ninja. Come That's a good one. Yeah, taste like and see that the Lord is good. Sorry, I've got one more. One more. This is a, I, I've been actually holding back. I forgot about this one. Do you need a reason to move to Moscow? Yes, you do. Yeah. <laughs> do you? Do, yeah. <laughs> then look no further. Steve McLean is finally going to hang up his hat at me and my truck. Oh. It's a business that's yeah. uh, as much a ministry for Steve as it is work, appreciated by his many clients. He's built the business from scratch over past 35 years, 
almost exclusively on referrals. The motto at me and my truck is love your neighbor as yourself. Mm. Thus, his expectation is that his crew will leave it better than they found it. His business consists of snow removal, gutter, window cleaning, hauling, moving other miscellaneous jobs for a long list of customers yep. on the Palouse. Asking price is 110000 Includes over 60000 worth of equipment necessary for all the facets of the business. Three three-quarter ton pickup trucks Ooh. with snow plows. All equipment is easy to show and is located at two rented shops. For more information, call Steve McLean. Yo. Steve's an OG in 208 208-301-2104. 208-301-2104. Investigate Buy that yourself one. a business and move to Moscow. Yeah, for Hey, real. we're grateful to have with us on the show today Thomas per- Purfoy. He's a creative filmmaker who develops video-based learning resources to advance the kingdom of God. Oversees three companies, including... Uh, Compass Cinema, Compass Classroom, Compass Creative. There's a little bit of a theme there. Compass, maybe? Yeah, yeah. Mm. Thomas produced, wrote, and directed the feature documentary is Genesis History. uh, And he's now produced the sequel about the mountains Oh, after the flood. I thought it was going to be like, is Genesis still history? (laughs) The returns. (laughs) The return of Genesis. Okay. Do we got a trailer here? Also, Dr. John Whitmore taught high school science and math and spent a summer working for the United States Geological Survey. Dr. Whitmore serves on the board of Creation Geology Society and is a member of the Creation Research Society and the Geological Society. He's basically on all of them. John (laughs) Thomas, thank you for joining us on Cross Politic. Thank you. Good to be here. I, you know, I, I, I can't help myself. I want to call him John and Tom. John and Tom. Just, Are you just going to do that? Yeah. Tom gonna, and John. Yeah, the, you know, t- uh, Gabe, these are important yeah. people. These are important people. <laughs> um, hey, we actually have a preview of, of the documentary, and then we're going to jump into talking to them about it. There are some strange things in the world around us. Enormous mountains that have been bent in two. Huge valleys cut out of solid rock. Amazing structures carved into the earth. Entire mountain ranges twisted like taffy. How do these incredible things happen? And why is the book of Genesis the best explanation for them? In 2017, two creation scientists I know started a research project in the Grand Canyon to begin to answer those questions. They were studying some amazing things. Huge layers of rock bent as smoothly as soft clay. They invited me to follow them on their journey. It took me from the laboratory to the mountains, and from fossil quarries to the biggest canyon on earth. I saw things I had never seen before, and was presented with evidence that transformed my understanding of how God reshaped the earth after the flood. I'm Del Tackett. I'm excited to be your guide as we explore the rise of mountains after the flood. I love that description. Mountains twisted like taffy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That'd make you hungry, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it does. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's a laffy taffy right now. Now, Thomas, I mean, you already established in the first movie that Genesis is history. Why why the mountains? Why why is this a significant story to tell? You know, it's interesting. We were I guess I got to stop back, take a step back and say that we were given this story. We came looking for us. We didn't go looking for it. Um, Dr. Andrew Snelling is really the centerpiece of this. And he and Dr. Whitmore did some research in 2017 when they were actually the ones going and doing, looking at these huge folds 
down at the bottom of the Grand Canyon. You see some shots of that from the from the video. And we'll talk about it a little more. But that research project, when I found out about it, we were um, had been involved with kind of advising the uh, the cameraman, a guy named Hilton Metzger, on how to take footage of this. And he returned the, kind of the favor by sending us all this amazing footage of these guys doing the research. And as I began to look at it, the question that came to me was, what caused these folds? And when I asked Andrew, I was like, well, Andrew, you know, where did this come from? He was pretty straightforward. He was like, well, that was the, the mountain building event that happened, you know, after the flood. And I was like, what are you talking about? What do you mean a mountain building event that happened, you know, at the end of the flood and after the flood? And so this whole film really came from pulling the thread of saying what was going on in the world at the end of the flood. And is it actually, is there evidence all around us, kind of wherever you look, um, of enormous changes in the earth's surface that the God was doing to remake the earth. And so when that, as a whole, that's kind of a long answer to your question, but the reason mountains are interesting is that you can see them everywhere. They're enormous. And they're really just these evidences that the Lord, not only did he flood the earth, not only did he judge it, but he reformed it in a way. And that if you have eyes to kind of go see and look around, you can see it all around us. And so to me, it was just this great opportunity to pick up on what these creation scientists were doing and then take it sort of as a global, as a global perspective on um, evidence that that the Bible really is accurate and true. Now, I mean, I, I always, I mean, I've heard for years people specifically point to geology, like as like, this is why, like particularly a lot of Christians sometimes be like, the reason why I can't take Genesis one literally is because the geological record, the the layers and all this yeah. kind of thing. Um, that's, that's the reason. And so it's, you know, it's gotta be some kind of symbolic, you know, whatever day age theory or some kind of poetry or something like that. You can't take it literally because of the geology. So what is it? Um, and, and maybe Dr. Whitmore, you can jump in on this is what, what is it then about the formation of mountains that is actually, Actually, not demonstrating um, the proof of you know millions and millions of years, but actually a a, a younger Earth that is um, uh, um, it reflects exactly what the Bible says. Wow, there's a, a lot of different directions I could go with that. I I started to uh, worry about those kinds of questions myself as a freshman in a secular school at Kent State University, uh, beginning to study geology. And I was a Christian at the time, but um, I was really confronted with uh, whether scripture was true, whether I needed to believe it literally, or whether uh, I needed to... to um, treat it uh, figuratively in, in some way. And that's when I really, really began my search. And as I began my search, I, I really became convinced uh, because of a number of things that it was scripture that I needed to understand as truth. And when I went out and studied the geology, that's, that's how I needed, that's what I needed to interpret uh, uh, with scripture, not the other way around. And so a lot of times I think people start with geology, start with millions of years, start with evolution and see how they can squeeze that in the scripture. And I think we need to go the other direction. And I, I really do think there's good evidence that the earth is young, that, um, the flood uh, made much of the strata and much of the fossils that we see out there. And over the years, as I've studied geology and, and taught students and whatnot, I keep finding more and more, more and more evidence for that. So talk to us about the taffy. 
You know, like yeah, the, the, yeah. the, the, the laffy yeah. taffy, the, the folds, <laughs> the folds at the bottom of these mountains. How does that? What what's yeah. going on with that? So uh, I I think it's it's really uh, such a such an easy explanation. If I if I grab a rock from my desk here, yes, sir. And I have plenty of rocks sitting around my office, <laughs> but uh, if I if I grab this rock and I and I try to bend it. Uh, what what would happen to this rock if I you know tried to bend it? Does anybody know? Uh, would, it, would it break? <laughs> I mean, it would break. This is, is okay. It's not a tw- yeah. trick question because I was I was nervous. <laughs> I was like, maybe you know some magic. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and and it's not magic. If if you take this rock even over long periods of time and put pressure on it, it would not bend. Uh, it would uh, eventually break if you put enough force on it, and and that's the same that, that we know about rocks. It's not a it's not a time issue, it's not a, a pressure or depth uh, issue, it's not a temperature issue. Uh, what it is, it's a it's this is hard rock, and and the only way to 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 make hard rock bend is to to heat it up at very great temperatures and the rock that we saw at the bottom of the Grand Canyon didn't have evidence of that heating and so uh, our contention was is that that rock uh, was bent uh, when it was still soft in other words it it was soft sediment it was uh, it was loose uh, when it bent and then it became hard rock. Mm. And, and the contention is that that happened like during the flood or after the flood? We think that bending actually took place as the mountains were rising up after the flood. Uh, the sediments were still soft. Uh, the sediment bent as the, as the mountains applied force uh, to the, to the uh, sediments. Uh, they bent and then the sediments became hard. How does, how does a flood make mountains rise? Well, the flood didn't make mountains rise. Uh, the flood uh, made all the rocks uh, that we see in places like Grand Canyon. Uh, so uh, we had to get floodwaters off of the earth. And the way that scripture tells us that floodwaters uh, got off the earth is in Psalm 104, verse 8. In Psalm 104, 8, it says the mountains uh, rose up and the valleys uh, sank down. And so uh, the rising of the mountains, the rising up of the continents uh, caused the waters uh, to run off. And it was during the rising of those mountains that uh, many of these folds that we see in places like Grand Canyon, mountain ranges, and around the world, it's that it's a, during that time when these folds formed. So before the flood, was the earth flat? No. Uh, (laughs) wrong (laughs) what i mean by that obviously i'm playing off the flat earther thing but what 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 i mean by that there weren't as many mountains before the flood and the and because i think genesis two or three two two describes like the the rivers flew out of uh, flowed out of eden so there's high grounds before the flood but did the flood really create kind of like the massive mountainous structures we have throughout our, our our world and it wasn't like that beforehand yeah, so Genesis 2 does talk about rivers uh, flowing uh, out of the Garden of Eden, one river in particular, and that river split. 
But um, we get to uh, Genesis chapter 7 when it actually has the flood narrative there. And it says the ark floated above a certain depth above all the mountains. And so we know that there were some mountains before the flood. We don't know how high they were. Scripture doesn't tell us that. We don't know if they were equally as high as today's mountains or not. Uh, They they could have been higher. They could have been the same height. They could have been lower. We just don't know. Uh, But um, there's definitely uh, some erosion that took place. Place, uh, during the flood, and then uh, many mountains reformed uh, at the fall at the end of the flood. Can I? I want to talk to the uh, Tom Thomas. Can I talk to you for a second? Because I was just thinking about this as I was watching. I'm like, let's just be honest. We're talking about rocks. Uh, not very interesting. And so, as a filmmaker, <laughs> what do you mean? I'm just what saying. Do you mean? I mean, I, just just take that rock you got over there and just put it in front of a camera and see how entertained we're going to be as we look at it. <laughs> Not really I didn't that. Show inter- you what was on the front of this rock? Well, <laughs> oh, fossil. Okay. Oh, all right. burn. All right. Burn. So I get it. Some rocks aren't as entertaining well, as what others. What Knox is trying to say, as a filmmaker, how do you take a documentary about? rocks <laughs> and make it entertaining this is an absolutely great question um it's actually you know i it was funny we've got a guy that is one of our executive producers and he looked at some of the footage and he said you know it's really brown you got a lot of brown in there you know yeah, we, your first film had all this color it is so this is what i think is fascinating when you start looking at god's world and at the creation um we once had, you know, one of our guys actually is in this film, Steve Austin. He's a geologist and he used to collect rocks as a young child. A lot of kids, it's funny, a rock is a rock is a rock is one perspective. But then when you start looking at it, you're like, well, wait, there's limestone and sandstone and mm. um, shale. Then you start getting into deeper. You're like, well, why is this rock this color and red? And why is this rock this color, you know, actually sort of a greenish tint? What I began to do is you begin to, in a sense, kind of look deeper at God's creation. I would suggest that there is an, a growing interest the more you learn about what something is. Mm. And so what intrigued me about not only in the first film, but in, then with this one, is that there was a sense kind of a, um, I had to kind of pierce through and move into, kind of move through a curtain. And then in, once the curtain pulls back, you actually begin to understand that a rock really isn't a rock that's a rock. And so that there are certain rocks that are deep in the earth, you know, pre-Cambrian rocks that have a certain aspects to them. But then all of a sudden there's a spot in the earth's history. You can, anybody can see it. You know, I don't know what's out there in Idaho, but when you kind of start to know your local rocks, there's a spot where the rocks just change pretty radically. The fossils all appear and then those rocks begin to stack up and they are thick. And they are deep. And the question is always, what the heck can lay down rocks like that? Mm. And when you begin to realize that some of those rocks are bent, and some of those pictures we actually have in our film are enormous mountains that are bent. Mm-hmm. Um, that's when you begin to start asking questions. What in the world caused this and when? I mean, I was just recently in France and I was uh, in a train leaving the Alps. And you start looking up and you start seeing these enormous folded formations. And I think the area I was in was the Jura Mountains, which are officially the, the, the Jurassic area, and which would be considered probably later flood strata. And I think that most of us as Christians, and I know I've been in this and still am in this, 
are very unaware of how what what God did to the world and both how he made it, what it's constituted of, and then exactly what he did with, you know, with the flood. And I think that we have been, to quote our friend Del Tackett, we've been sort of lulled into a view of simplicity yeah. of, you know, a, a flood that was sort of a simple event that just, you know, it was kind of a gentle thing with all these nice creatures that were kept on the ark and, you know, a lot of rain fell. And I think the idea of radical catastrophe that totally reforms and transforms everything is what began to intrigue me. And when you start looking at the rocks, that is the best evidence of it is something so major and earth shattering that it actually is a very humbling spiritual moment when you kind of can stand face to face with three miles thick of rock strata mm. that stretch over and I, and we show this in the film and just one layer that we're looking at goes all the way from Greenland down to Arizona and lower. When you start thinking about this, you realize oh. that the power of what God did with the world is, is very amazing. And the God we worship is far greater, I think, than we often realize. But then there's evidence in the rocks. And again, to our friend Steve Austin says it, you know, kind of the rocks cry out. Wow. You look at the rocks and you begin to realize how great our God is. Mm. That's good. That's a good story. Uh, that, well, that's really good. You, you yeah, can make that move. So, that, that, so, John, why is the Grand Canyon such a focus for geologists <laughs> um, in, in, in this discovery? And, you know, give me like your, as part of this answer, give me like your top, you know, two arguments for how the geological structure maybe points to the creation narrative. Yeah, the Grand Canyon is such a fantastic place to go. Uh, number one is so beautiful, but the reason why geologists love it uh, so much is because it's a desert. Uh, you don't have any biology or soil or anything like that hiding all the geology. Hmm. And so you can see the rocks for miles and miles and miles. If you get up under the, on the rim or a high spot in the Grand Canyon, you can basically see everything that's going on. If you're in a place like Idaho or here in Ohio or Tennessee, there's so much soil and trees and, and so on that cover everything up. And so the Grand Canyon and, and a lot of the deserts in the West are so great uh, to study uh, the rocks out there. And then, you know, uh, uh, tell me again what your two questions were. Yeah, the, the, yeah, top, the, sec the second one was like, you know, kind of give me like your top two, you know, arguments for how the Grand yeah. Canyon and the geological structure point to a creation narrative. Yeah, so Grand Canyon, there's there's a couple things we could talk about. We could talk about the canyon uh, itself, the, the ditch, the big uh, canyon itself. But uh, I like to focus in on the rocks themselves. How did the rocks get there? And number one, I see a lot of these rock layers, they extend across continents. So the, the layer that we talk about in the film, the Tapete Sandstone, uh, that layer, as Thomas said, extends from California all the way to Greenland. Uh, we suspect it extends all the way around the world. Uh, I've seen the same rock or a similar rock layer in southern part of Israel. Uh, it's mapped throughout Africa and, and known in other places around the world as well. So we think that this was a layer uh, that was made early on in the flood. It has a giant erosional surface uh, down below it, extends around the world. And wow. you can't, uh, it, it's just unfathomable 
able to have uh, conventional slow geological processes to ex to explain something like that. And then not only that, um, that same layer and, and layers associated with it contain the start of the fossil record. So you, you look in the rocks down below that, and there are a few small odds and ends, but the fossil record just absolutely explodes in this layer. The conventional uh, scientists call it the Cambrian explosion, but uh, every uh, almost every single phylum of organism, every type of organism, if you wanna, uh, want me to say it that way, appears in these Cambrian rocks. And Darwin struggled with this uh, as he wrote the origin of species. He just didn't understand why so many things showed up there. And he, he thought that, you know, 160 years ago, that as more work was done, you know, we'd find more stuff down below uh, these Cambrian rocks, but it just doesn't show up. And, and that was one of the things as a, a young uh, scientist that, that really had an impact on me that the sudden beginning of the fossil record and uh, I was studying paleontology and, and that uh, was so influential to me and in, in, in bringing me back to scripture and and thinking about what scripture had to say about the fossil record and and uh, where these fossils might have come from so I would say these extensive layers and the, the start of the fossil record uh, and you know the lack of transitional forms and so on are one of the best uh, geological things that we could point to in Grand Canyon and other places around the world as well what is the evolutionist response to that's the, funny yes, exactly. especially, <laughs> the, especially the geological layering yeah. of the fossils uh, you know what? It's almost uh, uh, there's almost silence to it. Yeah. Um, I I actually asked uh, Stephen Jay Gould, the famous uh, Harvard paleontologist. Uh, yeah. He's dead now, but I asked him about 30 years ago that question in front of an audience, and I was polite. I'm a nice guy, <laughs> and uh, I asked him, you know, what he thought about that, and and he unbelievably said, "Next question, please." <laughs> he didn't wow. want to answer my question. Wow. Uh, and I, I talked to somebody that had him as a student or uh, he was their professor. And uh, he said, uh, yeah, Steve uh, just didn't want to talk about that in class. He, he avoided the topic whenever he could and, and just changed the subject. He, he didn't want to, you know, talk about why fossils suddenly appeared in the record. And it's, it's such a, uh, a good argument, I think, for for creation and, and actually for the flood, the beginning of the flood is the sudden appearance of these fossils. So I don't know if this can, is oh, good. I was going to say, connect the dots for me. What do you mean it's a good argument for creation, this fossil record? Yeah. Yeah, so evolution would say we have a gradual um, chain of, of organisms from uh, simple to complex. Uh, and that's what Darwin said. That's what others have continued to insist on uh, because they need time for evolution to take place. Uh, but what we actually find is not this uh, story of simple to complex in the fossil record. We find a sudden beginning of the fossils. So we find complexity mm. uh, right from the beginning. And that's exactly opposite of what we would expect if the evolutionary model was true. I also think the the other side of this, we had uh, Dr. Gordon Wilson on uh, last it was a week ago or so. I missed that show. And he uh, he it was a great show. Yeah, yeah it was. Yeah, and he, he told us about John. He said you yeah. got to get John on. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> but, but uh, he just pointed out just a, I mean it's a really simple thing, but it's like I actually been like kind of blowing my mind ever since. Like I mean I mean I've 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 
listen to all kinds of talks, but his, his whole point also was just like, just fossils themselves require, um, uh, a catastrophic circumstances to form. Yeah. Um, yeah. most, most thing, most bodies that die, right. they de- decompose, they decompose and, yeah, and yeah. you know, the ants and everything, everything point. eats them. Uh, they, they, they fade away like footprints, even like the footprints and stuff like that, that are, that are preserved. Yeah. Like, like in order to preserve something like that, you have to have a catastrophic event to like seal it. Yeah. In yep. stone, yeah. and it and it doesn't. It like normally things die, and it just they just decompose, and you don't yeah. get a fossil out of them. Fossils don't evolve, but, right? That's the thing. It's like <laughs> yeah. like that's like the issue is not like length of time, and that, that, that's the thing that yeah, he's pointing right. out. Like you actually have to have unique catastrophic circumstances, and the and then the same thing what you're pointing out, like um you know both the the bent stone, the the, the taffy stone, or even just that thick layer of like all these fossils, complex and simple, all in the same le- layers. It's like that's that all points to catastrophe, a catastrophic right. uh, event, um, not something that needs a lot of time. It needs something explosive. Mm. Yeah. So in the film, uh, we're going to talk. We'll go to Green River Formation in Wyoming, not too far from you guys in Idaho. But uh, there's these fantastic fossil fish there. And this is a place where I uh, spent uh, some summers working on my dissertation work, studying the fossil fish there and, uh, just incredible preservation. But, uh, we'll talk about these in the, in the film, but yes, they have to have rapid burial or they're just going to rot and decay and, and disappear. <laughs> I, I think, um, we're, we're going to be at the Ark encounter uh, yeah. next week. And yes. this documentary will be featured. Yeah. Uh, we're, showing. we're showing it at yeah, the Ark. Yeah. Really. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we're going there. Um, we're having our fight, laugh, feast conference there next week, um, on the politics of six day creation, because, yeah. um, we firmly believe that one of the places that we have gone, um, so far off course as Christians in this country in particular is as soon as you begin um, going fuzzy on Six Genesis, you yep. go, as soon uh-huh. as you start going fuzzy on, um, on the authority of God and um, his, um, uh, um, his sovereignty over creation and, yes. and, and it being what he said it is, that has downstream effects. Right. I mean, um, that's right. It, it, you you begin you, now. Are we are we sure about what he said in Deuteronomy? Are we right. sure about what he said in the Psalms? Are we sure about what the Gospels mean? And um, you know, we got a mind virus from Darwin in this country, <laughs> and I think it's we've been we've been uh, uh, deg- you know our understanding of justice. Freedom, absolutely. Image of God, sin, redemption—all these things have been infected, and so that's why we want to go there and um, talk about these things: the reliability of Scripture, the authority of God's Word from Genesis to Revelation, and the downstream effects, like how that impacts family, nation, uh, church. Um, So, looking forward to seeing you all there next week. I've got one last app to read, and then we'll 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 jet out here. Discover why more than a million people use the free Olive Tree Bible app. They'll be at the conference too. Go to for reading, studying, and listening to God's word. Start by downloading one of many free Bibles and start taking notes, highlighting verses and bookmarking your favorite passages. You can read at your own pace or choose from a large selection of reading plans, including the Bible reading challenge. When you are ready to go deeper into your studies, Olive Tree is right there with a large selection of study Bibles, commentaries, and other helpful study resources available for purchase. There's also an extensive bookstore that allows you to build your digital library one book at a time, and Olive Tree's Sync technology lets you pick up right where you left off on your tablet, PC, or phone and get right back to studying on another supported device. Now, here's the best part. You can start with the Olive Tree Essentials Bundle for free. Visit olivetree.com slash FLF. That's olivetree.com slash FLF and download it 
today. If you want to support us, just go get their app. Oh, Download true. it for free. Yeah. And for, that's supporting us. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah, yeah. And tell them we sent you. Yeah. Hey, John, Tom, would you guys tell us if people are not going to be at the Ark Encounter where they'll be able to watch the film there? Where else can they watch the film and how can they download a website? Stuff like that. Yeah, the film is um, currently available for watching off our website is genesishistory.com and buy it. Uh, we're pre-selling the DVD and Blu-ray. It will be available on um, uh, iTunes and Amazon and all the usual suspects over the next few months. And so, um, yeah, right now, if they want to watch it today, it's isgenesishistory.com and they can stream it immediately. Gentlemen, thank you both very much for coming on the show. GenesisHistory.com. Yes. If you're single, get married. If you're married, have you some kids. And if you have kids, go baptize them until tomorrow. Love God with all your heart, soul, (laughs) mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Go fight, laugh, and feast. This is Cross Politics. You like that? John liked that baptism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Not the flood kind of baptism, the sprinkling kind of the raining kind of baptism. (laughs) How do you choose who to trust? Doesn't it usually come down to personal connection? Then why do only 25% of people trust a real estate agent when our job is all about connection? Sounds like there's something missing. Here at Story Real Estate, we're looking for people with integrity and a willingness to serve others. When people get to know you in this career, they should discover a genuine and helpful person who can guide them through tough times. If that's you, join us today. I'm Chris Carpenter, the owner and founder of Story Real Estate. Click the learn more button and let's see if we have a career you'll love.